This week's Reggae Lounge guest is a lady who, well, I only fall short in calling her a national treasure just due to her age. She's way too young. But make no mistake, despite her years, Brenda Imanis, OBE, has, it would appear, in the broadcasting world, done it all. Born in Lambeth and starting her TV career as a researcher, Brenda is the go-to professional for presenting live events for institutions such as the British Film Institute, Sadler's Wells Theatre, Ernest & Young, to interviewing the elite A-listers, whether it be Will Smith, Stevie Wonder, Robert Redford, Elton John, Oprah, to name only a few. Her 18-epic-year career with the BBC as the arts, culture and entertainment correspondent was seen as a huge loss when she stepped down in 2020. But, as to quote the philosopher Emerson, I'm a great believer in luck. The harder I work, the more of it I seem to have. And that really does ring true for Brenda, because she appears to be just as busy, if not busier, due to her high demand. Her great work ethic led Brenda to be awarded the OBE in 2019, an honorary doctorate from the University of Arts in 2020, a Community Honours Award at the House of Lords, a Batten Award for mentoring and inspiring other media professionals and a Legacy Community Award. That trophy cabinet just isn't big enough. But I am very honoured that she's a guest today on the Reggae Lounge. Thank you and welcome, Brenda Imanis, OBE. How are you, my love? I'm all right. You should be my agent. <laughs> oh, um, anytime, anytime. I mean, do you get used to the OBE when people say Brenda Imanis? I mean, do you use it every day yourself? Or? You know what? Um, no, I did. Well, when they said when I got the call, because you get a call, well, they got a call because they couldn't find me. They didn't know where to send um, the official letter and stuff. And then you can't tell anybody for about six months, which oh. is a bit the most hardest thing and then I had that whole complex about do I take it and the whole you know colonial attachment and stuff and I heard my dad who's deceased in my head say you dare and I remembered all that they'd done and it isn't for me it's for them all the work and I know in terms of their value system there's no higher honour so and to be able to take my mum who's still with us Mm. who's turned 92 on Saturday to take her to Buckingham Palace and them treat her like she was the queen (laughs) is the best thing but I remember her saying oh if I die tomorrow I'm happy so it was worth it just for that so really it was for them yes and all they'd done and, the, you know, how fearless they were coming to this country and not knowing what they were com- coming to and dealing with it. So it it was theirs. It was yeah. theirs. Actually, now you've so put I, it. So I don't get used to it. In fact, <laughs> I hardly used it for a very long time. Um, I don't know. It just felt funny. <laughs> it felt a bit weird. But now I, I use it more because I've, I've been having coaching, which I think is always important. And they just said, well, you've got to own it. You have to... You know, a sense of your own achievement and you have to own it. You're given something and you've accepted it. So I use it now. Um, yeah, well, now you've just now. explained it like you did, of course. We, we forget it's actually our forefathers who got us here. So, it, yes, the OBE. Yeah, this is not a lone journey. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't be where I am if it weren't for my parents as well and their strong work ethic, yeah. you know, and their sacrifices for me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm forever mindful of that. Yeah. Excellent. So, I mean, just tell us, because it's like I, I I, have known you for years. I haven't known you, but it just feels that way because because you've been on our screens for so long, which is 
you know, fabulous, really not just for a woman, but a black woman too on British TV. But before, you know, get to your TV career, epic, as I did just describe it, uh, what's a preteen Brenda like? What was she like growing um, up? I was a really curious kid, you know, um, I, 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 I don't know, I guess I, my mum's, my mum liked, my mum liked, loved words and she loved learning. And I remember as a real kid, early as a kid, some of my earliest memories of my mum sitting me down going C-A-T, cat, R-A-T, rat, M-A-T, mat. So she was mm. teaching me to read and write early. Um, and I always loved words I, and I loved, there must have been a little performer in me because I was always performing for them at home. Mm. And when I was at school, um, I, I, I was actually quite good at drama and my, my drama teacher and my sociology teacher were my favourite teachers and I was what I was one of their favourite students and it's funny because I, I'm still I'm curious about people which is why I do the job I do and I love people and I obviously love the arts um, and performing but the older I got and they, they tried to get me into drama school and I got into the National Theatre Youth Group and I remember having to audition for that and it was terrified and not sure if I wanted to do it. I did the lead roles, at, I used to get all the lead roles at school in the drama, in the plays or good roles and watch my sister rolling her eyes having to sit through them <laughs> with my proud mum. But um, when it got to going to drama school, I just realised there were certain roles I was being offered and I thought, this isn't really what I want. I remember asking one of the directors, he said, well, we've got to be realistic about the parts you're probably likely to get. And I thought, well, that's not for me. I don't like that limitation. Um, and then all the pretty blonde girls were getting all the great roles or, or, or sleeping with the directors and doing really well. And I thought, no, this isn't this isn't for me. But I knew I loved performing. And I knew, I don't think I would have been a good actress, to be honest with you. I think I'm probably too self-conscious. And when I look at the people that I think are phenomenal actresses, I just didn't have that depth. Um, but I loved, I loved drama. I just liked the, the experience of it, I think, and, and being other people and you know, stepping outside yourself. So I think presenting, in a way, is my performance, but in a different way, in a sort of more, I feel more justified in, in performing because I know what I'm doing and I feel more in control yeah. of it. So that's probably how I ended up going in that bit. Although I didn't know when I when it came to looking for my career, because I, 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 I wanted to travel. I love travel. I love people. I loved learning. I loved learning. And I, I toyed with teaching. I wanted to be a pilot. And I oh. remember... A, a, and being told tip-top fitness, tip-top intelligence and lots of money, which do you have, Missy Manor? So that kind of peed on my fireworks a little bit. And then I discovered it was brand new, media studies, and media studies had everything in it. So um, that's what that's kind of led me down that path. You know, the universe has, your, has I always think it's all mapped out for you before you even get here. Yeah. And I think media studies came along that time. But I was a, I was a mischievous child. I was a very mischievous child. Are you? Yeah, I mean, I look like a saint in front of my parents, but I got caught out a lot. My dad always held me responsible because I was the old, eldest. So oh. anything went wrong, I would get the blame. And they were typical West Indian parents. They were strict yes. on that front. If I wanted to go raving, if I wanted to go to parties, you'd go, yeah, you can go, but you're coming back at 10. I said, Dad, it doesn't start till 10. <laughs> well, then you can go, but you've got to be back at 10. In other words, you ain't going. So I had that. And I remember sneaking out to see a boyfriend oh, and all yes. that kind of thing. So I wasn't a saint in, in no no respect. But I love people. My my um, friendship group is really eclectic. I was It was like the United Nations. I, mm. I remember having Irish friends and Italian friends and, you know, Jamaican friends and African friends. And I love that. I've always been that type of person. And my, my friendship group now is very eclectic. 
yeah. um, by the nature of what I do and the people that I've met, actually, it's really weird. People, <laughs> if I have a dinner party, it's quite weird <laughs> to see the sort of people. Or if I hang out in different circles and I have different groups of, of friends, it's just the way my, my life has been. Well, that serves you um, well, doesn't it, I think, to have such an eclectic cultural group of of people you can tap into that especially as yourself you love to travel and you have you know you do traveling as part of your job yeah and I think traveling and that makes you open-minded and accepting of people and cultures and and respectful of people and cultures I hope I, I really hope and, I, and my daughter I made sure she we traveled a lot she's been around the world before oh. she's like she's only just turned 17 and she's traveled and not because I wanted to think that she's got an exotic life but also because well partly my work meant she had to yeah. but also I think it's important that their eyes are open and that they're open to different things and curious about different things it frustrates me when she says I don't like something and I know she hasn't tried it oh yes it could be food, it could be a book, you know, don't tell me you don't like it when you don't know it or you don't know the person or you don't know the thing or you haven't tried the food, yeah. you know, try it first and then you can justify why you don't like something or somebody or or this, this particular novel. So I want her to be as curious in that respect. But my parents, were, they weren't affectionate, but they were loving and they were generous and they made sure I had everything that I needed. They were Typical West Indian family, I yeah, guess, in that respect. Exactly, giving us the tools to make sure we could really just make our mark on this world. Yeah, and yeah. be resilient. Mm, definitely. They didn't pretend it was going to be easy. My mum always did that whole thing about being a black woman, you have to work twice as hard. But I think I embraced that about wrongly in hindsight because yeah. I always felt it meant it was, I wasn't good enough and therefore I worked really hard and always went the extra mile and spent my whole career trying to prove that I was good enough and um oh yeah I think we need a different narrative there yeah yeah but you know I remember seeing you many moons ago now because it it was a tv show really for me and a lot of my friends at school we'd watch every Sunday and and you know it was it was that kind of time when it wasn't really nothing else on the TV. I'm talking about the clothes show, of course. Yeah. And I, and I thought that was your first job, but it wasn't in the TV. You you'd done quite a few things before that. Hadn't yeah, you? I, I, I've been a researcher. My first job in television was as a researcher on Kilroy. The, I can't remember from the, the morning oh, chat show program. Kilroy, I was at the Voice before that, and I remember thinking, oh, I'm not going to fly. It's, you know, it's the BBC, and I'll never get into the BBC. They're, oh, you've got to be white and male in Oxbridge. I'll never get in. And then I was working on a magazine. I was working for The Voice. And I was working for a women's magazine at the same time. And I applied quietly. And I thought, well, if I don't get it, then no one's going to know. So I didn't. I secretly applied to the BBC as a researcher. And I got it. So, oh, right. and it was a, so that was, that was my first soiree into TV. It was in the news and current affairs department, working on Kilroy. And then I worked on Breakfast Time. And then I worked with Janet Street Porter on youth programs. And do you still talk to Janet Street Porter? Even I don't though? see her often. Yeah. I've seen her. I haven't seen her for years. I bumped into her a couple of times, and I think I had to interview her once in, in my work capacity. But I mean, she was. I mean, she was a tough cookie. Yeah. She's the only woman in telly that made me cry, actually. But I learned a lot from her because even though she was, she weren't easy. She would Janet weren't easy. Yeah. She'd cuss and swear and all of that. But she'd always have. If she didn't want something or didn't have an answer, she'd know why and she'd tell you why. And so I learned from that and it, and, and it made me tougher as well because she was tough. And if you want, and also I, I asked for, a, it's the first time I asked for a promotion because she gave me this opportunity. And I, and I terrifyingly said, well, if I'm doing that, I deserve this title. And she, she said, fine. And then she gave it to me and then it went wrong. And it wasn't my fault. It went wrong. She said, well, if you 
want responsibility, you have to take the blame. And that was a real life lesson for me. Because oh, wow. I got the blame for something that wasn't really necessarily my fault. Yes. You know, because she was involved in the decision as well. But she said, with responsibility, uh, with um, titles come responsibility. So that was a tough lesson, but a good lesson. But you learnt it and it sort of stayed, it stayed yeah. with you. It stayed with you. Oh, gosh, yeah. So, so at that time, um, did you see many black young researchers um, working nah. alongside <laughs> were you the only one <laughs> uh, it was one mixed race um, uh, girl who worked with me who, who's a long term friend now um, yes we were the only ones at the time but there was another girl I remember seeing in the in the building at the BBC and, it was kind of, and it took ages before and it's really funny when you're when you're the only one you don't know if you all embrace together because it means you, if you meet at lunchtime on, <laughs> um, it feels like I said, remember seeing one girl and I used to kind of try and catch her eye and, and eventually we I waved and we got talking and we've been, again we're long-term friends I'm godmother to her child and she, she's to mine but um it, there weren't that many and we were the only the few and gradually I saw a, a couple more and then we started I was one of the uh, people who was involved in starting the BBC's Black Workers Group as it was called then which is now Embrace which is huge and it's it's you know a really phenomenal networking group and support system and you know a constructive critical friend to the BBC so we needed that we needed to be able to meet and and have you know have some share experiences and cry in the toilets together so right. it was it was few I mean my first I think within my first week or second week in Kilroy and I went to the canteen to have lunch and someone asked me where the cutlery was like I'd worked there like mm. I worked in the canteen and, and that was a bit of a blow that was, it, was a, it was a reality check really because we are we are so few that um they don't know who we are when we're there but it's, it's changing changing thank goodness yeah but but obviously that experience and you know, and I think uh, my, I myself has yeah, same thing. I I went on a training course, not for the BBC, another training course, um, and I asked a lady, "Oh, do you know where X place is?" And she said, "Oh, is it for the can- canteen?" <laughs> I said, "It's okay, I'll find yeah. it." It's it's funny, isn't it? How how we still seem, no matter how uh. we dress, but um, but that sort of experience at the time. Were you then able to? Who were you able to go to for guidance? And if anything went wrong, because obviously you didn't feel, I'm assuming, not so empowered then, or were you? No. Well, I, I look. I had a, I had a good strong network outside of the Beeb, I guess, uh, helped. And obviously the, the the one girl that was there with me at the time, and we we didn't. Talk, we were. I think you're kind of nervous about being too political, as it were, at the time. But um. And it's also, and it wasn't even just at the early in that time. It wasn't just being black. It was being a woman and in a male-dominated area. And you'd have got, you know, you know, it's contentious now to say, but you know, I remember um, uh, producers or, or bosses saying that, you know, if you really want to be a presenter, you might as well do it now. They're not going to want you when you're ugly, old and ugly. You know, you do it now. And and also gradually throughout my career, guys, saying, you know, I was sitting at a dinner one time later in my career, going this um, white male producer going, I think you're really good. You're a really good presenter, but you need to be more tits and ass. Oh. You need to be more tits and ass. And it was that kind of, what, really? Is this, is this, and, and, it, and then I used to watch, because I had a car accident and I had a scar at the side of my leg. And I remember watching thinking, that's my career over, because all the women had to wear short, short or in short skirts. I used to sit and watch presenters thinking, oh, I can't present anymore. I'll never be able to present. All the women, you know, yeah. are of a certain type look a certain type yeah. you know or are a certain size and all of that and that was quite a thing to get over and I was and then when I did the clothes show and I'm surrounded by models 
Um, but I looked at you on the close bed, show. You know, but, I uh-huh. looked, but I looked at you on the close show, and I could have really. I I looked at you, and I thought to myself, well, for me looking at you, I thought brilliant, another yeah, black girl we can we can actually look up to and be like. But I looked at me in the mirror, and I thought, but yeah, she looks more model. I couldn't be that way. So funny you say no, that. I didn't feel model at all. You know, but what I liked about the close show, I, I, I was like you. I used to sit and watch it on a Sunday afternoon. It was my, it was my go-to program, and it was a perfect time because the whole family's watching telly yes. then. So we all watched it, and I loved it. And I've always loved clothes and fashion. Always. I mean, I used to cut out Dolly's clothes. I used to try and make clothes. <laughs> You know, I used to design. I was always designing. I could never make, you know, with a sewing machine, but I could always I always loved designing yeah. clothes and stuff. And I had a friend um later in my career who was a designer and I would create and they would make for me for to wear. So I'd have something different. But um no, I was I, I it took a while. I mean mentally and it depends, it depends on your you know, as women we go through pay phases of being feeling really confident and other times you just 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 don't. Yeah. And how about the close a i was thrown into the limelight i remember having to do an interview for the sun and they quoted things i'd never even said you know oh. and they wanted to go into your private life and it, i felt really vulnerable and then i was going into shops and then people wanted to see what you had in your shopping bag and it, it, it was it was like suddenly you're in the and that in the rabbit's headlights and that's quite that took some getting used to for me well, yeah, because before i was a jobbing journalist you know yeah. so i didn't have to deal with that it, it must and that, have been, that perspective changed. Yeah, it must have been terrible. Sorry to, sorry to, because obviously there's a bit of a delay, but sorry about that. But um, I was thinking to myself, you know, like you say, you're a print journalist and, you know, you're just going about your daily business. It's a job. And to you, the close show is a job. And then you're on our TV screens. Yeah. And so you're not really just going to a local shop anymore and being plain on Brenda. It's Brenda. You are now. Yeah, friend from the closure yeah. or the black girl from the closure, some yes. people used to say. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. So how did that opportunity come about then for you to Um where was I? I was I was working I think I was was I was at Channel Four. I was working freelancing at Channel Four for an independent production company who did stuff for Channel Four um and ITV. And I'd heard that they I think a friend of mine had already been working on it or heard about it and knew how much I had a passion for it and said oh I heard they're looking for to be more diverse now and they're looking for a black presenter so I rang them and she said ring ring and I was terrified I didn't run and eventually I rang and got one of the editors and he said oh if you're interested come up and see me come up to Birmingham so a friend my friend who I met the BBC as the black girl the other black girl who became a really good friend she took a day off and came up with me all the way to Birmingham and um, I went to, I asked for him and he wasn't there. And another produ- producer said, oh, um, well, he's not here. He couldn't, he obviously wasn't aware you were coming. But range, he said, well, we're doing auditions next week. And I've gone all the way there for nothing. I thought, well, that's it. I'm How rude. I'm, I can't be bothered. And then she said, well, we're doing an audition in London in a couple of weeks time. Why don't you come to that? And I thought, oh, I can't be bothered. If they like that now, I can't be, can't be asked. Well, anyway, I, I was persuaded to go. And there was a queue like a mile wrong. It was like, you know, when, when Greece came out and it, yes. <laughs> this queue around the block, I thought, oh, right, what a waste of time. <laughs> but I did it, but I, I, it's, it felt quite spiritual. When I got to speak to the editor, um, something was clicked with us and something, you know, the right words came out, the right energy was there. And it felt, it felt good, even though it didn't feel like it was mine because I saw the queues and I knew that it was like competitive. Mm. 
something felt good. I didn't go away thinking, oh, mm, God, that was awful. And then eventually I was in, a, in my office and I got the phone call saying, oh, we really like you. You're joining us. Mm. And that was it. That was it. Yeah. So I auditioned. I auditioned. And then I did this interview with the son and they said, give us Selena's job, says our Bren. Because oh. I was taken over from Selena Scott, who I'd never met. Yeah. And I certainly didn't say I wanted her job. I said, oh, you know, I'd love, I'd love that job. You know, I love, obviously I relish the opportunity of stepping into someone so great. And it was like they'd said, I'd said I wanted her job. Oh, yeah. yeah so so it's all that have, sort of thing to get to. Yes, yeah, so that must have taken you by surprise because you yourself, prior to this, had worked in print journalism and was a journalist. Yeah. So for them to, and, and you're thinking, well, I know I haven't said that and I've been very respectful. But I know how it works, yeah. you know, you know, sexy headlines. And if you work for a red top, then, you you know, people, you have to drag people in and give them what they want. And there's always never let the truth to, let um, get in the way of a good story. Mm. Never let the facts get in the way of a good yeah. story and all of that. So, you know, the value system and you know how it works. But when you're privy to it, <laughs> the other side of it, it's a bit, you just have to, t- yeah. And I mean, if it was def- defamatory, of course, you you deal with it, but... Otherwise, you just roll your eyes, really. And hope what about your family then? Because you're used to it, but having your mum and your dad reading things that way, do you sometimes fear for the family when, you know, your fame kind of overtakes something you can't control? Yeah, I'm protective. I'm very protective of, the, of them in that respect. And also, even my friends, because you can have time when that happens, especially when you're suddenly in the, in the public eye. And you're on the street and people want to talk to you. And I'm really lucky. I'm, I'm God bless. I'm really lucky in that people are always really quite positive and really lovely. Mm. So they rush up to you and they want to talk to you, but they forget you're with people and they, and the people you're with get ignored or you're at dinner with somebody, they or a friend or whatever, and they're totally ignored, mm. which obviously people don't know them. But um, it, that can be quite difficult, you know, when people are dismissed or they're pushed out the way so people can get to you. I've had that as well, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So that's the sort of thing that's that's difficult. But my family are great and they're strong, you know, and they get it kind of, and they're very private. All of them are very private. Yeah. And I like having a private life. I like I like um, keeping them private and protecting them. Okay. So, <laughs> so let's go to your first reggae choice after the millions it, you've chosen from. <laughs> It's it's really hard, you know, um, whittling it down. But um, I guess my first one would be a song that I'm never tired of and always lifts my spirit. I mean, I love Barry's Hammond. Absolutely love Barry's Hammond, right? But I love um, the Tony Curtis version of Lovely Day. Oh, yes. I really do. And wherever it comes on, and like if I'm being a, at a party or something, and my sister's there, she'll catch my ear because she knows it's one I really like oh. and we really like. Is there something about it that just, um, I like Bill Withers' lovely day as well, but there's this this track as a, as a reggae track. I just love it. Is it something you were hearing when you were growing up? Or when did you first hear it? Oh, no, it's, it's later. No, I can't even remember how. It's not the, it's not the oldest of, of, of the songs I would choose, mm. but it's just one that always resonates with my heart when I hear it. Um, and because you've only given me three, <laughs> it's it's on the top of my it's on the top of my priority list. I guess I just it just moves me. Okay, so here is Tony Curtis and Lovely Day. Yeah. 
People are singing along to that, Brenda. Of course, <laughs> I always rock in when it's up. But there's something special about that one as a record track. Yeah, yeah. So we talked about the close show, and of course, you being recognised. But did you at the time realise the enormity of what you were doing for young black girls, or did yeah, that never yeah, enter your I, mind? No, it it does because people come up to you and they say and they and they tell you. Um, how did I first remember? Well, you, you know, there's few of you, so you're, you're conscious of it anyway. So, and people come up and say, I really like what you do, or I'm really proud of you, what you're doing. And also, I've, all, I've always, because I knew I was the only one, I always felt a sense of responsibility. And you, I, I guess you, you felt, I remember talking to another presenter about it, saying, I feel, I feel like I can't mess up because so few of us are given this opportunity. And she used to say, don't put that pressure on yourself. You know, I don't think like that. But I, I genuinely, it must be Catholic guilt over my Catholic upbringing. I did. I've always felt like I know I'm 
of um, given this chance to prove how good we can be. Mm. And so, um, you know, a younger person said to me, how did you get into the media? How did you do it? I always had time. I've mentored all my career, sometimes too many at a time. I still do it. Mm. Um, So um, because it's important. And, And also I know eventually I got to know Moira Stewart and she became someone I, when I, when it got really bad and this, you do have difficult times, it's not all glory. Yes. And when I, when I needed support or needed someone to talk to, she was there, you know, she, she pulled me strong. And if I said, Oh, I feel like leaving she goes, you ain't going nowhere. Um, oh. You can do this. So she was really um, quite a force for me. That's lovely. I didn't see her all the time, no. but um, when I needed her, she was there. And just to see her presence made me realize what was possible. I mean, do need that I've, in every work in life. But, you know, like you say, when there's only a few of you, and my next question was, yes, did you have any allies, um, you know, during that time? If Moira Stewart was, was one, was there any other people you could have gone to who probably weren't of colour, um, who, who were was? just who were on your side? Oh, right. Um, um, well, well, Janet was, Janet was, a, um, Janet wasn't like a mental mentor, but she was, um, she was a good role model in that she was strong and resilient and, and taught me a lot. I, I I was really lucky with I had a couple of teachers I mentioned like Miss Mrs. Vogan, Mrs. Sorahan, my sociology, who almost became like friends. Oh. So they were always kind of there for me, and they were really motivating. And when I kind of wanted to fit in with all the <laughs> the girls that were like, like I, I was I'm I'm Saint Lucian, right? And all the cool girls in school were Jamaican. Right, oh, you know. and so I wanted to speak Jamaican, <laughs> and my mum used to say, "You ain't Jamaican," you know. But I wanted to fit in with all the cool girls, and even my teachers said, "You're not like them." And I was like, I remember being—I think I was the only one in the top English class or something like that. So I wanted to fit in. You don't want to be different when you're a kid. That's yeah. just the reality of it. You just got to learn to be your authentic self, whatever that is. I never knew what I still don't know what that really is because I'm a chameleon in that respect. But it was yeah, it was difficult. But I've always had I've been lucky in that I have a really amazing set of systems that are there for me. Um when when it gets difficult and dark in per, you know, personally and professionally. So that's really and that's really important. I think you've got to have a strong network to get you through. Um these these times and, and, and I've got some really good men in my life as well you know I've got family and friends that are, that are brilliant I have some amazing men in my life yeah so I mean because you said the you support studied, so I've been really lucky you've been very blessed yeah it sounds fantastic you, and I think you need that too don't you in especially like the career you've had because they, I couldn't they will have done be it downs. without them yeah there will be downs so you say you studied media studies. So what was the leap from there then? So because your career does sound seamless, but it obviously it took work. And while I was doing my media studies degree, um, I, I was I, I'm typical Gemini, like I like doing lots of different things. So I had a Saturday's job, and I and I went to interview the editor of the Voice, who liked me and said oh, I can see your potential, and offered me work. So I was freelancing for the Voice while I was doing my degree so at the end of my degree I actually had a job to go to I was one of the few who actually had something to go to so I went and became a reporter on The Voice and then and they bought out a a, a music music magazine called Black Beat and I worked on that as well and they bought out Chic which is a magazine um, which is a women's magazine so I ended up doing stuff on that and I became an arts editor so that's where I kind of got into arts and music and culture then doing that and then I, I left the I left the voice to join the the BBC and, and I said at the BBC um for a, 
a while and then I went and worked for an independent Channel 4 and then I went back to do the clothes show and then it all kicked off from there after the clothes show I went for Richard and Judy and then I freelanced yes. for Sky and Super Channel and then it just rolled on from there. Because obviously being a journalist too and the, the, the you know you're presenting it is you know it just it is a freelance career so you really do need to be working don't you you know there's things different yeah. that you don't get like a paid employee you have to make no, sure I, you got to keep the balls rolling, yeah. And I, I well, I became staff eventually. I became staff like, on the advice of like, actually a, a women, a female mentor who said that if you're thinking long term about your career and your relationship and you want to have a child or, or build a family, take a staff job. And and I, and I was at that stage then that a I knew I'd loved what I was doing and I've got into the I was enjoying my life at the BBC, so I took the security of a of a staff job, mm, and that great. worked favorably for me and this and I only just left that staff job yeah. nearly 20 years down the line well, yeah, recently just about to say because obviously BBC Arts and Culture we always you know saw you as I say always on the TV you know and we knew once we saw Brenda it's like once you see just a Trevor McDonald you feel safe you know you're going to get a good documentary and people who hire you will know they're going to get just brilliance professionalism was it hard to Thank step you. away you're very welcome and I'm not just saying that I am I'm truthfully being honest um and it was a shame you know you had to step step down or say had to you wanted to step down um was it something you thought hard about to step away I'd be lying if I said it was an easy decision but it felt like um I had to do it it felt like um I had to. I, I read this book once. My sister gave me this book by Shonda Rhimes called yeah. The Year of Yes, and, I, and, I, and it's because I was. I think I'd got comfortable and scared um, at another point in my career. And I read this book, and so I spent a whole year one time and challenged myself to say yes to everything that came my way, yeah. no matter how much it terrified me. And I did. Literally, I'd get phone calls, and someone said, well, "I wondered if you would," and I'd go, "Yeah, sure." And then I <laughs> yeah. even finished the sentence. <laughs> and I, but I ended up doing some of the most things I probably wouldn't have done like I remember having to fly to Milan to to host a um conference for um for curators on the on the role of museums you know and that it was like being at the United Nations for culture you know I, and I applied for a leadership um opportunity at the at the, at the BBC at the law leadership is what for the top leaders in the BBC when they're building their leaders and I didn't think I was going to get it and I nearly didn't get it and I had to fight for it and you know and I worked on it and I got it and then I ended up working in the director general's office you know sitting next to him in board meetings and wow. stuff like that and I wouldn't have applied if I'd thought about that it is a big so deal, in a way Brenda. that is yeah, huge it, it was but if I had to think about it and process it I would not have done it I would not have done it so but they they led to me changing and these opportunities come and I guess it's again it's a universe at play you know all these things are divine order as far as I'm concerned it's like now and it felt I always felt like well what's life like at the outset and how much can I grow and there's part of me feeling um they didn't know what to do with me after that and all the things I wanted to do weren't happening and I didn't want to. I've got offered jobs like in diversity and leadership, which I didn't want to do. I mean, I do it anyway. I mean, it's part of my role at the BBC. I did it, but I didn't want to make it my job. Yeah. I love arts and culture, and I wanted to be. And I was, and I'm be honest. I saw lots of um, my white counterparts doing really well and having opportunities in areas I would have loved to have had opportunities. They weren't coming, and if they're not coming, then you have to create your own opportunities, don't you? And you have to scare yeah. yourself. And maybe it was enough time. Maybe I had got complacent and I was and I was playing safe. Part of me could have stayed there forever doing what I did because every day is different. Yeah. And, every, and, I, and I, 
but I wasn't growing. I wasn't learning. And, and I could see the dynamics changing in the newsrooms and all of that and the place changing. I had to get out. I had for me and maybe for, for them to make room for other people to have a go, as it were. But um, I, I, I had this it's a different chapter now. And my ego has to come out of being on television. You know, there's more to life and more to the world that you can offer. Yeah. And that's what I had to see and if, if I had if I could do that and deal with that. So what would your advice then be to say someone up and coming in the industry? It may not be as it's, safe and yeah. Well, it's a precarious industry for starters. I don't think you're going to go into it with with, with um, security. And I think you have to. If I had my time again, I'd, I'd realize, recognize the fact that you have to create your own opportunities as well. Nothing's handed to you on the plate, especially for us. You can't even pretend. How do you um, do that? You have to create. How do you do that? How do you create well, your own you, opportunities? You network. They say your network is your net worth, and build strong networks. Um, Attempt things that you probably think aren't necessarily in your remit because you, you might grow from them. You might find that you like them. Um, follow your heart. Um, get a mentor, um, someone in the industry who understands the industry, who's higher than you, and someone out of the industry that can tell you about yourself when you need to or give you a different perspective on things. And, and resilience is so important just because you've, um, you know, fall one time, get up two times. You know, it, it is a lot of that. It is a lot of that. Are there as many black females and males both in and in behind the camera as you'd like? As I like, obviously, no. Um, it's getting better. In front of the camera, there's loads of us now, isn't it? Post-George Floyd, there's been yeah. a sort of a, a wake-up call to that. But then also you have to look at what they're looking for and what, what they what they feel is diversity. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a type. And I think also with television, that they, they are desperate to attract a younger audience. Mm. So therefore, diversity to them is young, urban, um, that sort of genre. Whereas there's, there's, a, there's a generation after that who deserve to be served as well, you know. But that said, we have some amazing talent making some amazing documentaries and stuff like that. I mean, I'm, a, I'm part of a black um, broadcasters network and it is reaming with talent and people doing great stuff. And the more and more we watch sitting and watching telly, we see more things that resonate with me than I did before that I can watch. Do you know what I mean? Some great arts, not just arts documentaries. Even ITV, I mean, I sat down watching Ashley Banjo, you know, and I saw the Will, the Will I Am one. You know, even, you know, I, populist channels like that are doing their bit and working hard to, to change stuff. Charlene White's doing great. It's her moment, you know. Judy Love, it's their moment. And I'm, we can only celebrate that. That's great. And we all have our time and our moments, and we must embrace that and encourage that. Um, behind the scenes, there's going to be a lot more. I mean, I know some phenomenal um, commissioning editors and, uh, and producers who deserve a, a, a place at the table. Mm-hmm. And maybe, and hopefully, that will change. You know, I'm an optimist. I'm really Winnie the Pooh, not Eeyore. So I'm I'm hoping we'll see more of that happening. But also we, what is really amazing to watch, and I'm learning that from from mentoring, I've learned that and I've seen it. The younger generation ain't sitting waiting for permission. They're not going to Auntie Auntie BBC yes. and, and we're, they're, they're creating their own opportunities and, and they're recognising there's a world out there. I mean, part of social media terrifies me you know the whole landscape is 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 for them 
and they're making the most of it and they're creating their own content like you know how many influencers and content creators are there out there now you know they're building empires you know Jamal Edwards is phenomenal and he was doing that before you know like that young man it was a lesson to me Jamal Edwards is amazing honestly it's true he was doing things from his bedroom you know yeah I remember him saying I'll be I got rejected by the BBC and I'm thinking well I wish they rejected me and that was my response because he's done amazingly and he, he's just one of many that are doing great stuff there's some fantastic filmmakers out there and, you know and and producers and directors and artists i mean the art i mean even in that field the, the amount of blossoming black artists that you see now it just fills my heart with joy yeah and all can do it from your mobile phone which is even yeah. better you know which it's... is good when you know what you're doing because that's what terrifies yeah. me thinking maybe that's what I need to be doing now I don't know because I'm not even I mean I do social media well, I think, but I'm not even you notice even on my social media I don't talk a lot I don't do to camera all of that it's, it's their generation but you know you have to embrace it yeah. if you want to stay in it of course so what is your second choice Right. I figured, because uh, of my age, I'm that generation when Lovers Rock was a significant part of our life. Yes, right? yes, yes. And that proved really hard to choose one Lovers Rock song. So I um, was talking to uh, some friends and my sisters last night. I think oh, we, were, we were licking through a load of them and seeing which uh, trying to have a sort of uh, sort of retrospective on our favourite Lovers Rock tunes. And um, uh, one, I went, oh, yeah. Remember that, and I, and I used to love is um Sandra Cross. It was, it was either country living or put it on, and I couldn't make up my mind. So whichever one of those that you have, I'll buy.
about Shonda Rhimes and that was the book that changed your life because it is Mm -hmm. because she honestly as as far as role models go with writing and stepping out there and doing her thing I mean Grey's Anatomy was just yeah and it was mainstream she wasn't just writing about the black experience a woman you know is a a force and that's what's and she's a great character development and um, character dynamics and all of that and I think that's extraordinary I don't know, she's she's a genius. I guess that's the only way of putting it. And the book, Say Yes, that was a it was an eye-opener because I've got that book too. When I was reading it, I was thinking, would I have said yes to that? Would I have said yes? I don't know. But to actually do it and carry it out, um, but obviously you did, and then it's led you to the same conclusion what she had. You're doing things outside your comfort zone. Yeah, and I would recommend that to everybody. I mean, it doesn't have to be big and dramatic as I did. Some of it was tiny things like, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a small thing. that I did. It wasn't always big and drama like flying off to Milan or doing leadership courses and stuff. Sometimes it was just little things uh, and trying to be consistent with little things uh, or being invited to things that I think I'm not quite sure I want to go and then saying, OK, then yeah, I'm going to go and then meeting someone really interesting. Um it was that sort of thing. Oh, but, you know, going to places where Lord and Lady Farquhar have invited me and I'm thinking, really? And I go and then Lady Farquhar, for one of a better term, is, is one of my good friends. So it's yeah. that sort of yeah. opening your mind and spirit to new experiences. So, I mean, we talked about your daughter as well. So, and, you know, she, I know you work together and, and the things like that. But is she, will she be following you in your footsteps? No, no, not, I don't work with her. I work on her. Oh. <laughs> no, no, she's only 17. She's still, she's still, she's at, she's still sixth form yeah, at yeah. school. Yeah. Um, but she's showing signs of being creative. She's creative and loves art and she loves painting. She, and, and it's a joy to watch her up at one, two in the morning, just in her zone. Because I always think at that age, all they want to do is be on social media and be on their iPad and they've got no sense, no, no focus. But when she's painting, she's a different being. But she's an old soul anyway. She's emotionally mature than I ever was. So it's she's a very different being. My dad used to say that. My dad goes to say, oh, she's been here before. Yes. And she is like that. She's a very wise. She's very, very woke. Very, I mean, she'll save the planet. And every ism, she's, you know, anti-racism, anti-misogyny, anti-this, anti-anti-anti, you know, yeah. anti-everything, climate, you know, pro-climate change. Now we can't have red meat in the house and all that sort of thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah. Which, yeah, she's one of those. 
But actually, <laughs> and my next question would have been, which I think you've already answered, do you think there are any obstacles in her way like you had to face? She, yeah, her challenge is very different than mine. Her challenge, um, if I say I'm shy, people think, no, you're not, you work on telly. But there is a part of me that's shy. I, mm. I go into a zone when I'm working. I remember that Michael Jackson interview, him is saying that. I'm not comparing myself to Michael Jackson, but I remember, and I didn't get it when he said it, but now, and sometimes a lot of people I interview, you, when you meet them on their own, they're really shy. I mean, yeah. big actors, I've got to name some big name actors, but when you meet them, it's a very different vulnerability because then they're exposed. They're not putting on, the mask come, has to come down. I can be quite shy if I don't know people from an environment where I'm not. I remember once I was in a club, went to a club with some friends and, uh, and we were waiting to put our coats on something, but then somebody, um, I don't know who they were, but it got back to me that someone said that I blanked them. But it was somebody I didn't even know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, and I went out of my way to kind of find, I said, well, I, I saw it. do I know you? He said, no, but, you know, I looked to you, or so I sent it to you and you didn't answer. And I'm, I mean, sometimes you can be consumed or in your own stuff. I mean, I remember going, going on, having to go on telly and smiling locally when I'd lost, when my friend was dying of cancer. Oh, you know, and you come off and you're not in the mood to embrace people and be happy. And you're allowed. And we, we forget that. And I'm trying to be mindful of that. But people are humans. And even when I interview them, if, I mean, I'm, I've had days when Tommy Lee Jones was just not in the mood for an interview. And I said, you're not in the mood for this, are you? And it threw him because I said it. But cause you could see he just wasn't in that wasn't space. I said, why did, why did they make you do this if you don't want to be in the mood? And then he, got, he suddenly woke up and we got on really well. But he wasn't in that space. And there have been others who just... We have to remember people are human beings first before they are whatever their professions want them to be. And we must be mindful ourselves of our expectations, imposing our expectations on other people. If it's one thing I've learned from the job. Mm. Um, but there's also a level of professionalism. If you, can, you can tell when people's ego are at play you know, because they want to be divas yeah. um, and be difficult for the sake of being difficult. And there is that. I'm not... I'm not you know, saying that you know, being nice to every celebrity you meet that's being rude. No, if they're rude, they're rude. And then they have to, and you, so if, you, if you're in a public eye, you have to know how to manage public and, and recognise that people see you in a certain way. It's give and take, really. And so who looks after you then, Brenda? After everything, all the lights are down, the microphone's in its stand. Who looks after Brenda? Oh, I have a great network. I have yeah. great family. I have great friends. I have even you know, great partners. I'm, I'm yeah, I, I, I'm lucky in that I have a very strong network of people that I can call on when, when I'm down. Now, I called you at the top of the show and I still remain. I, you will be not yet a national treasure. Not because, <laughs> because it, you have to be, I think you have to be at least, at least 70. You can't be your age and be national treasure. So you have to be at least 70. So there you go. But there must be something you haven't or you want to do professionally. Like I said, I don't know, like I'm thinking of a chat show, not on a panel show, but a chat show of your own. I mean, I do like, yeah, I do like talking to people. I'll never get one here. I'm, I'm kind of mindful that you've got to be a, a celebrity. And I'm not a celebrity. I'm mindful of that. I'm not a celebrity. I'm a jobbing presenter. Um, so that won't happen here in, in that capacity. I do love talking to people. And I'd probably, I'd, and I'd love to do a program where, and it'd probably be creatives, you know, I'd love of all sorts, from like fashion designers to artists to filmmakers. That would be my ideal. Also, I dream Tyler Perry. In, and when I say dream Tyler Perry, I dream building something like that over here where we have a sort of an agency where all our creatives are kind of to work it together and like you can get our uh, filmmakers working with dancers or painters working with writers all that I, I dream having some kind of form of 
agency talent talent I don't know what you call it full um production house yeah. and I'd love to be part of something like that long term I suppose yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm now thinking on a more international level in terms of my career this is which why I'm probably well, I'm hoping to get to Nigeria but <laughs> I know the Caribbean and, and Africa looking to build links creatively like the, in tourism and in in terms of um arts and culture and I'm developing a, a sort of an ambassadorial role there and doing stuff like that and doing some consultancy in the art space so and I still want to make programs I still do want to make programs you really are a chameleon so. you really are this amazing chameleon <laughs> because not only are you say so you're presenting you're still helping helping people you're still out there making sure people are keeping up well your I think we're here to serve we yeah. know it's not just about us we're here to serve and that's and I think when you're serving then you get your reward I'm here to serve you're here to make a difference mm. it's not just about you you're not here just to live a life you're here to kind of make a difference and impact the world in some way albeit in a small way and if you can help somebody why not yeah and do you still see your career a base elsewhere for you as in you could be based elsewhere doing your career would you, did yeah you think well, that, that's a great or... thing about the way we work and I think the working from home taught us that didn't it that we yes. can work from anywhere yeah. so yeah I mean I'm, my parents are St. Lucian so I'd love to have some a space there mm-hmm. or in somewhere in the Caribbean definitely um, I'm exploring Africa more and more mm-hmm. because it's for some reason it's, it's coming my direction um, and things that I've been doing or people that I'm meeting so um, and also I, I, even while I'm here I'd like a place either in the country by the sea Oh, lovely. You know, to, just to escape the city, like come weekends and stuff like that. That's my fantasy lifestyle. That is a beautiful dream. And, it, and I, well, I say dream, but reality for you, I think that sounds beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. But, you know, it's a shame when you said you don't think you'd be a, a you know, like a, a host of a show, not a host, um, your own interview show. Because like you say, yes, I know we get a lot of celebrities out there who are doing it. Some better than others, <laughs> let's say. But when you see across, when you go to, when you watch these programs and you see a lot of the British people going out to America who are in embracing the British talent, especially in black British talent, have you, ever yeah. been, have you ever been tempted? Oh, I talk about that with all my friends all the time, all my active friends that have gone. I say, why do you go? And they say, well, because you have to. And and I say, no, we've got to make our mark here. We've got to make a difference here. But I think they're right. You know, you take your opportunity where it is, really. I hadn't because, I've, I've, you know, my, I'm quite strong with my family and stuff, and the, but my base was here. And also I felt we have a right to make it here or do our best here. Or, I felt that. Now I don't feel it so, so much. I'm thinking if, if it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen, and you, you do it wherever you need to. The world is a big open place so I'm slightly changing my opinion on it now and I'm so amazed and happy for all of those that took you know no risk no reward they took the risk and went and they look at when we look at the likes of Idris and you know all the others that followed before him that have done phenomenally well you know Daniel Kalua after him you know John Boyega it's inspiring to see what they've done and they've been given these opportunities and they and but you know we deserve to have a seat at the table here too What's the worst piece of advice you've ever received about your career, about going for something the, or the worst? Yeah, no people um, say the I best, think, but what's the worst you think you've received? I think the worst is what I mentioned earlier when someone said to me that you had to be more, you needed to be yeah. more short skirts and have your breast out to make it. It's that sort of, and you see a lot of that in the, when obviously reality telly. And the way it's and the, that's become the value system, and women are sexed up to succeed. And I think there is a pressure on women to sex up to 
to uh, to achieve. Yeah, you know, I don't go on looking. I try not to. Don't think I go on looking frumpy, but I certainly don't want my career to be based on the size of my breast or the, you know how much thigh I'm showing. So I've always kind of fought against all of that kind of thing, you know. And you know, I'm lucky. I've got a daughter who who wants to remain natural. You know, will not do her her hair. Blah, 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 yeah. You know, and and that's not me imposing it on her at all. You know, she's. I think she's recognised the fact that. And do you watch reality? Do you watch reality TV? Because yeah, I, you know, I work, I work in telly, so yeah, yeah. of course I'm, I'm like, and I know you want to know what's going on, and, and I get caught into it, and I watch yeah, because I watch Married, Married at First Sight, and I, yes. I watch Love Island, and all because you wonder what the fascination, is. and also I find people fascinating. I find that um, relationship dynamics fascinating. I find how people react in public and private. I mean, I'm a curious person, so or it does fascinate me what people will do for fame. Yeah, well. well, exactly. I was about to say because does it surprise you that people, knowing the examples we've had in the past of people going on their shows, does it still surprise yeah, politicians you how many... acting like dogs and stuff yeah. like that? Uh, or, yeah, or just yeah. even like your ordinary, you know, if you took Love Island this year, the UK version. Yeah, and yeah, how many, I know. And you know, compared to how many virtual, not virtual at all, so really horrible tweets and etc what was aimed at say Kaz compared yeah. to some of the others and yet some people will still go on that show next year and a year after and a year after do you think you know because to- they want the it's the fame and and, and and I guess also you know if they can make their careers they, a lot of them make a lot of money out of it and that's the where the value system is now it's not about integrity and all of that you know I think they say life is so short I think they're trying to grab the opportunities when they come but it's I think sometimes it's short-sighted, but you know, for some of them have done phenomenally. Well, not many of the white ones have done it, but um, have done really well out of it. You know, they built careers in television from it because it's the way forward. It's just the way television, the media has gone, the world has gone. Yeah. You know, reality telly seems a way to become a star very quickly. It's like we had the, it was the Voice and programs like that, and the X Factor and all that for in the music industry and entertainment. It's a fast track to fame. And is there enough support for people who don't make it? No, anyway? there's not. There wasn't. We've, well, we've seen the tragedy, I mean, even yes. with Caroline Flack. There isn't always a duty of care. There isn't. And there's only so much you can do when you're being trolled. You know, how much do you, you know, the, there's only so much the TV companies can do. I mean, they've updated, they have to take a responsibility to some degree. But these are, this are, these are adults making adult choices to go on these, pro, these programs and they must be aware of the consequences of it. It's dangerous. It, it can be dangerous. But, you know, it, it is seen as appealing to that generation. You know, they want fame and they want fortune and they want profile. And they want to be in the spotlight because that's what they, well, that's how they're judged now. Right, so you're, you've, we've talked about how many, um, so many interviewees you've actually had, so many high profile, so many known, and probably so many not so known to some people. Who yeah. is the person you're still chasing for an interview? Because I, even I think you've even interviewed Michelle Obama, I believe. Did you not do? No, that? I haven't. I haven't. No, I went. To, I met her. I was at an event where she was. I haven't interviewed her, and oh. I would love to. And not just yeah, and I'm more about. More, I'd love to know more about her as a woman and a yes. mother and a black woman. I guess, yeah, I'd love to be stuck in the lift. With you. you say, who do you want to be stuck in the lift with? She'd be one of, she'd be one of them. I, I admire her so much. She's my ultimate role model, um, definitely. Um, Any more left? Because obviously we said Oprah. We've, uh... Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've done Oprah once. Um, Shonda Rhimes. I would. I've never met. I would love to meet. Um, who else? 
I met Desmond Tutu, who's hilarious. Oh, is he? Yeah, I didn't get meet. I didn't meet M. Nelson. Sadly, I would have loved to. I met Maya Angelou. I remember early in my career, I was almost shaking. (laughs) She went, "It's okay, darling. It's okay." She she was so reassuring. She must have seen how nervous I was. And Alice Walker. So I, I, yeah, God, I've been blessed. So um. So you talk about great um, writers there too. So will you be writing your? I, I funny enough, I got sent this book recently. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a anniversary copy of IC Three, which is a, an anthology of black writers. Yes. And I had a, I used to aspire to be a creative writer, but it was more a hobby. But I got asked to write a, a short story, and it was published. And they, the anniversary copy has just come out and I'm in this anniversary copy alongside Bernadine Evaristo and Courtney Newland, really amazing writers. Wow. But, but I've never, I mean, I like writing, I'm a fantasy writer, I do it quietly, a nice to journal and I've got, I've written a couple of short stories in my head. I'd more like to make a film. But what about your own story, as in the Brenda story? Uh, <laughs> no, I think there's far more interesting stories like that that need to be told and some of it people probably wouldn't believe. <laughs> but, they, but that's why it would make it interesting, Brenda, because I think you have so many tales to tell. So, you know, just yeah. about your growing up and the people you have met and the people you have worked with. And, you know, if you think about a lot of the things what we read, I mean, there's a Netflix show at the moment called Made. I mean, that that's based semi you know, autobiographical. Never said that word. <laughs> almost based on her story. I'm like that with phenomenon and tragedy. Yeah, that, <laughs> it's always the words. Um, but yeah, um, so you know, so I I see the book. I see the book. I'd buy it and I'd read yeah, it. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep getting. Yeah, one of my mentors kept saying to me, "Where's your book? Where's your book?" And I don't know what I have to say. And that's probably me and my insecurity, you know, because I've seen so many people write so many great books. If it's to come, it'll come, I guess. But it's not something. That, oh, and I've got to write a book and I don't know what yeah you know yeah I love supporting I don't know what I'd say that's different yeah I'm not sure maybe yeah maybe this is me being humble and not you know and too scared maybe oh, that's an I area think, that I've still got to kind of well maybe that's a Shonda get over think myself Shonda, but. think Shonda Rhimes you know well, write a book and that could be one you say yes to <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe you've got me there. Maybe that's yeah, my next yes. <laughs> I have been writing of late more than I than I usually because I started journaling and then it became sort of expanded. But um, and then I had to write a piece for somebody about an, an experience, and I thought, oh, actually, that's quite good. And I'm doing interviews. I mean, I'm writing for the Voice again, and I've just done an interview. did an interview for the Powerless magazine with David Harewood, which is great. Mm. And I'm doing a string of interviews for the Voice. I'm doing like personality and feature. I'm writing for them again, so that might get my muscle going. Oh, yeah, get the old memory, um, the memory a bit more. Back. Yeah, yeah. In terms of, but I enjoy it. But um, yeah, it's it, it it's it's stale that that side of my skill set. Oh, Brenda, it's been fantastic talking to you today. Really, ha- I'm, I, you know, it's an honour talking to you. And also, I know you're extremely busy. <laughs> so yeah. I do appreciate you, you taking my last song. Time, time, time out, but yeah. So I was thinking. Has to be. I just can't wait to hear your last song. Um, I uh, again, it's always really difficult, and I wondered whether I should have got because my dad loved music, yeah. and I remember um, weekends he was always blasting music, and that's how I kind of came. I think that's where my kind of love of listening to music or dancing came. And mm-hmm. um, he, I mean, he was one of those, you know, that he listened to everything from from Jim Reeves to Nat King Cole to um, John Holt. Um, and because it's reggae, I thought I'd better pick a, a song that my dad would probably like. And I went for, 
John Holt, who I love as anyway, and I thought maybe stick by me, John Holt, unless for my dad. Oh, one of one of our house favourites too. Growing up, so any John Holt, but stick by me is beautiful. Absolutely, thank you so much. That's that's a great track to to end on. And uh, you know, it's just as I say, f- fantastic talking to you. I know you've obviously got a busy week next week as well, and but all weeks are busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, thank it's you. been fun talking to you too. You're pretty. You're actually really good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so you're much. You're really good. Oh, you made me you. feel really relaxed. I don't usually like doing this side. I like. I feel in control when I'm interviewing. Oh, it's much harder when someone's interviewing. You feel out of control, but you you made me feel very comfortable. Oh, yeah, t- typical, <laughs> typical into yeah. See, typical into you know journalists. They don't like the tables being turned. No, we feel exposed. We feel out of control. But I think that's what music does. You know, talk about music, and I think everything just fades away, and people just go back into that place where they were when they heard these tunes. It makes them more relaxed, and I'm so I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed it, and um, you, you, I did. I loved it. Excellent. Thank you so much for loving. Gorgeous pleasure, darling. To you. Okay. Likewise. God bless, sweetheart. You too, babe.
heart and my love belongs to you.